Simba, the Lion King. You know, um, I don't know about you, but Hollywood would bet many millions of dollars on the fact that most of us at some point see ourselves in that clip. In fact, every clip that Hollywood produces is based on the fact that we see ourselves in the movie. There's narratives in there that we identify with. And it's, uh, we may not want to be in the spotlight like that. We may not enjoy being held up. I actually did that with my, uh, my first grandson, Ethan. About seven years ago, we decided to pull a stunt in church, put the clip on like that. I got up, he had a nice little lion onesie on. And I got up and did the Rafiki. And uh, it went down better than that lion did. But, uh, you know, it was a good moment. He, you know, I'm, we took the photo, we've got the movie clip, and, you know, it's his little way. He'll, he'll feel significant and valuable and noticed, all those sorts of things. But Hollywood invests those millions in understanding the human soul because for them, there's money involved. But they know because they've studied it and had now nearly a hundred years of hard experience, that if the human soul resonates with a narrative and with a story, we'll pay to have that little scratch itched because we want to be that story. We want it to be our narrative and we, are, we begin to identify with things like when the good guys win, we want our life to win when we do the right thing. Uh, the bad guys go to jail and so on. And these stories reflect back and our heart, you'll notice in, in the good movie, will begin to resonate in time with the narrative because it becomes your story in some ways and you, you hope for the good guy because we always feel like in our story we're the hero. In the story of our life we are the hero. And so in this series we're going to explore a few narratives and um, uh, the ones that come out are the typical ones like uh, the restless student who knows there's more. Picture for yourself uh, Luke Skywalker on, I think it's Tatooine, my old pop knowledge is struggling a bit, where he just knows there's something more to life, you know, uh, or it might be uh, Neo in the Matrix, he goes, I don't know what's wrong with me, but there's another life beyond this, and, and a mentor comes in, and we all want that mentor, we want, all want to have that person help us break through that glass ceiling of our life. There's the ambitions person, there's a narrative about the ambitious young buck who loses their way and, and realises one day after getting whacked over the head with life, that family and friends are our real purpose. You'll, you'll find that in Toy Story in a few weeks. Or movies like Holland's Opus, if you've ever watched that incredible movie. Or even Top Gun. I might change, can I do Top Gun? Yeah. I feel the need. <laughs> and then there's today's story where we're talking about Lion King, where it's that journey of rediscovering who we truly are because we lose our way. And the great thing about these themes is that every one of our hearts can relate to them. Because woven within your soul, just like it is within mine, it's not a Christian or a non-Christian thing, it's a human thing, uh, and this is why it works for, for wherever you are on your journey. We all have this yearning for things like purpose, a reason to live, something that's to just exchange our breath and our strength in our life for something that's of significance, that hopefully will leave a legacy, that we can dedicate ourselves to something that matters. I don't know about you, but I marvel uh, at how easy it is for the human soul to become completely obsessed with things that don't matter one fig, one bit. It doesn't matter. We just want to get nerdy about something. We want, we want to have our thing, our hobby, our, the thing that we like to do because our work life often drives us a bit nutty and we want to have something that we want to get involved in. Trish and I were following on the way to church this morning an old 1964 Mini Cooper estate. If you've ever seen those extended versions of the Mini Minor. And she said, why would anybody want a car like that? I used to have a car like that. <laughs> it was a nerdy thing. And then I upgraded to a Mini Cooper S, 
with a racing engine in it and, and widened wheels and all the stuff and a racing seat. I just it, Everyone has a thing. But we can obsess about this sort of stuff to the point where it's just ridiculous. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for identity. Who am I? Whose am I? All those sorts of things. So we look at the Lion King and, and it's a simple story, childlike story, but not a childish story of owning who we are. Do you know who you are? Because in this one, there's a sideline. There's a little side topic in there that says, how does someone run a pride without pride running me? And that works very well, obviously, into the lion theme. How do I run a pride that I'm destined to do without pride running me? Because little Simba was born with a ray of light shining on him. And he became slightly entitled, little upstart, really. He, he, remember the song, I just can't wait to be king. Everybody do this, everybody do that. And, and he was just looking forward to being in charge because he knew the calling, but he didn't know the process of becoming the calling. And often we get that early stamp in our life where we realize who we are and maybe what God's called us to become. We have this inner sense, but we don't know the journey that needs to be traveled to qualify us for that. So for little Simba, it was all about him. And for me, as I watched it again for the hundredth time uh, this last couple of weeks, it just so resonated with me. This was done in 1994, I think this one was produced. But you look at our selfie world that we're in, we find ourselves in now. And uh, I'm not a great fan of Facebook. I use it as a, as a tool only. But you notice in Facebook the selfie thing. Remember when I was a boy and uh, cameras you had to wind and there was film in those, those suckers and, and you were never quite sure if the shots turned out. You just hoped the holiday was going to work for you. You'd go back, you'd get the film delivered. and so Now it's just a shot. But when I used to take a shot, it used to be of a panorama or a group of people or something like that. I was never in my own shot. Something shifted, now the selfie is me in the shot. But who's the focus? Me. It's no longer about the thing or the people. It's not about that. Now it's about me in that. Because am I not someone you can admire more? Because now you can see me in this scene. Look who I'm with. Look where I am. Look what I'm doing. And that subtle, I call it magnetic north, that just gets us off track just that little bit, that the most beautiful experience becomes, how can I make this somehow about me and, and my grading in life. But, the picture, but being embedded in purpose, as little Simba ended up finding out and as we end up finding out, you can be completely embedded in a, in a worthy purpose in life, but it doesn't dull your search for identity. These two things, they're, they're different, identity and purpose. We're both, both of them have a place in our heart we're gonna, and we'll, we'll die, some of us, to have those needs met. Who am I and what am I born for? How do I steward this life? And so I can be embedded in one and still be completely messed up in the other. In fact, if I'm fully embedded in one and I haven't squared away the other, it's just going to exacerbate the problem. Because an ungrounded soul becomes less grounded when it finds success because success will take you where character can't keep up. And so one day there's always going to be a bit of a fall. In the Bible, it, it says um, Jesus came across this same scenario with his disciples. They, they'd found their purpose. They'd found their guy. Well, you know, they were card-carrying disciples of Jesus now. And the arrogance in their heart began to think, mate, this is a good thing. Now, I might be someone special because I'm just taking myself in now with the Messiah. Who's better, me or you? And, and it says they came to Capernaum where he was in the house and, and he asked them, what were you guys arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. They were taking better selfies. 
Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He's, he's, just, he's knocking the knees out from this path that they're on. This trajectory was going to end badly. Because this became a common theme in their, in their narrative. I, I want to be the two I see. Can I be on your left? Can I be on your right? They got lobby groups together made of parents and, and they were trying to subvert the whole thing and become the important one. But studies have shown that selfies are a micro question. They're a mini, mini question. So small we don't even know we're asking it. And the question is, am I somebody? Am I someone? Because I'll keep looking back and seeing how many likes I get from that. Because I'm asking the question, I'm not quite sure of the answer. So I have to ask it. It's Snow White's witch looking in the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Tell me. Tell me. You know, someone tell me. And so I'll manipulate life, the internet if I need to, for someone to respond to that. And so without grounding, the question needs to be re-asked and re-asked. There's an interesting book by uh, J.O. Hagberg, which I'm, I'm assuming not many of us would have read. It's called The Critical Journey. It's a journey of a, of a human being's faith. Because every human being is on a journey of faith. Even what we would call, or uh, unchurched people would call an unbeliever, an atheist, even an agnostic, they're on a journey of faith. We're all on a journey of what are we relying on, who are we relying on, and what do we believe in. And there's four grand life questions that come out, and this movie actually shows the whole lot of them up. The first question that we go through in life on our faith journey is, who am I? Who am I? And we can answer it pretty quickly from our head particularly if you're a card-carrying Christian, you're a Bible believer, you, you know what it says, and so you, you'll say the right answer. But if your heart isn't really squared away, if the implications of external feedback in our life and our parents' love and all these other issues leave vacuums in our heart, that question echoes. It'll stay echoing until that heart space is filled up. And so you might be like Simba, who's raised with incredibly high esteem, uh, or be the opposite, be living out of insecurity. But Hagberg writes that no matter where you are, when you get to this question of who am I, inevitably you're going to hit a wall on that journey because life is going to push back. See, I don't just inherit greatness by uh, who my parents are, what my looks might be, my IQ, my ancestry, how I've worked at work or so on. I don't, it doesn't just happen for me because the world doesn't care about your claim to fame. It doesn't its mind is not on your sense of identity. Most people are pursuing their own. So they'll be happy to challenge it for you. So if you don't know who you are, the world will tell you who you are. And the world will say back to you, I too want to be king. What's, what's wrong with me? I'm prepared to work harder. I'll fight more. I deserve it more than you. And so little Simba, the little lion, he finds this lesson out real quick. Simba hits his own wall when his uncle kills Mufasa, the king, who I, I wanted to be, and ends up blaming Simba. Let's go to the next clip. All right, so the problem with life is it will always present us with a scar. Scar is the big line there with the scar. We typecast these guys. They've always been misfigured somehow in an argument in their past that we never quite find out about. But life will always present us with a, a scar character in our life. If it's not in materialized, it's in our own mind. It's that that thought process, it's that questioning, it's that doubting, it's the accusation that will come at you. And normally he comes as Scar has come to little Simba with a little bit of truth wrapped in a whole lot of lie, enough truth to know I'm not sure where I stand here, this isn't, and we hit this wall where we don't quite know who we are. Jesus talks about this same sort of Scar character, calls him the devil. 
Um, and he says in John chapter 8 and John chapter 10, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. And in chapter 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill and destroy. I've come, they may have life and have it to the full. If you want to know what your calling in life is, have a look at what the scar in your life, what the evil one has taken away from you. Have a look at where he's targeted your life because he has a bit of an inkling as well. What's been robbed from you? It may well be the thing that God wants to come, not just invert but multiply into, into a completely different trajectory that baffles everything that he's tried to do in your life. So Simba, uh, shame ends up becoming Simba's wall. Shame. He, he can't let this secret out because he now thinks he's killed his father. He was completely innocent in the whole deal. Simba inside of the, all the antelopes that come down. I've, I've actually been to the uh, Masai Mara Park where this movie was set. And uh, it's in northern Tanzania. It's the most beautiful place on earth. If you ever want to take a, a bucket list trip, northern Tanzania in Africa, the Masai Mara Park, where uh, 1.4, I think it is, million wildebeest come across the Masai River through the crocodiles and out the other side waiting for these packs of lions who just have toothpicks in their pocket and they just lie on their back most of the time, so stuffed full of wildebeest. It's incredible. So this scene is, is quite, you know, when you go there, you, you, it's almost like you can picture the Lion King going on. But Simba's story becomes one of shame. No one can know about this. The only, the only way this can see its way through for, the, for his young mind was to run. No one could ever find out. And so he hits his wall. And often, as I said, it's truth wrapped in a lie. And you've got the same wall. We've all got our wall. I wonder what your wall has been. I wonder what it looks like. Have you actually been able to break through that wall yet? Or do you keep banging up against it in life? Do you keep having to re-ask the question, who am I? What's your wall? We all have one. We all have this point where we seem to go no further in life. There's something about life that pushes back just that little bit harder than we can push forward. For some of us, it's a sense of, I'm inadequate. And the trouble is, see, the truth gets wrapped in a lie. I'm inadequate. That's how we feel sometimes. That's tr actually true. You actually are inadequate. Only humanistic theory would say that you are completely adequate in life. The bottom line is that's sort of true. But it's untrue as well because the, the full reality is always found in the context of the Father. We are completely adequate for everything he calls us to do because why? He is with us. So it's actually false what, Simba was, uh, what Scar was saying but it feels like it's true because that's how his heart was feeling. Or you might say, I can't rely on anyone. I can't rely on anyone. And every Christian well-meaning will come to you and go, that's not true, you can rely on us, trust us again. Yeah, but I've been hurt in church. Yeah, but we'll never hurt you. Nothing will ever go wrong in this church. Guys, it'll go wrong every minute. You're going to get hurt. You're always going to get hurt. So can you rely on anyone? Probably not. Not fully. Not with everything. But... It's true, but it's also a lie. Because people will let you down, but God promises that he will always give us what we need. So we need each other, we need people, but we also need them knowing they're going to let us down. What keeps it all together? Again, the presence of the Father. The promises, the destiny only makes sense in the presence of the Father. And so this wall that we hit is often found by having, as he did in, in reality, his father gone, he's lost his sense of identity, the whole thing falls apart for him. But our wall can actually be our friend. The wall that we all come across, it's not supposed to be a wall, it's supposed to be a step. 
It's supposed to be something we climb up on. How do we climb up on it? By getting bigger, by getting stronger. Because all that matters is reliant on the presence of the one who never leaves us or forsakes us. And this is what the wall presents us. Your wall in life is just sitting there as an opportunity for you to understand and to embrace this relationship with this God you may or you may not know because your destiny, your calling, your purpose in life is only found in as much as you're able to integrate it with him. But what these walls do to us is bring often a crisis of belief. We start going, what's real? What's left? Who am I? All I can do is run. And so Simba, the young lion, he ends up finding a pig and a, what do they call those? Um, meerkats. And they start defining life for him. And he, they teach him a song. Who knows the song? Akuna Matata. Nothing matters. Nothing matters anymore. That's a Swahili term. They actually use it all the time as they're cutting each other off in traffic. Ah, Akuna Matata. They've had their arm cut off. Oh, it's nothing personal, Akuna Matata. It's for, when you're under incredible hardship for your whole existence, that word actually can mean a lot. It resets the compass a bit. And uh, so he, he starts singing Akuna Matata, goes through his, his years and, and ends up getting stronger. And, but then finally he has this confrontation with his past because it's time for him, now that he's grown, it's time for him to reassess his wall. Let's have a look at the next clip. I don't know whether you want a Rafiki in your life or not. I don't know whether I'd like that guy whacking me over the head, but the truth, the truth is hard. And this wall that we hit, sometimes we actually literally need a whack over the head to figure out, I, I just need to be who I am. I need to confront and integrate this past that is my life, be vulnerable, be open and just confront it and stop letting pride take me down a path that I don't belong on. And something fundamentally shifts in every human soul. And the majority of people here would know this experience when they know that God is in them. Sometimes we forget and we do the dumbest things. But when we come back and we, and we remember, and sometimes it's years between our, our moments of being whacked over the head with this reality, that when God is with me, and he always is. But now and again, it becomes tangible. Now and it, become, it just becomes very real. And it redefines that question of who am I? Because it, it sort of morphs into this other thing of whose am I? Because who I am is completely reliant on my father, whether he's materially present or not. I carry his DNA. I carry his purpose. I have his help. I've got his unconditional acceptance. Even in Hollywood, there was no rebuke other than to say, you've forgotten who you are and you've forgotten me. This presence of the Father. And look at the way Scripture joins these two things where priorities begin to shift when we have our presence with our Father, presence with God squared away. Our priorities about what we own and what we invest in change. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You see the connection there? He's saying, all that stuff that you're doing, all those priorities, all those nerdy mini-miners that you uh, invest your life in, you're only doing that because you've forgotten. God will never leave you or forsake you. Somehow we've converted God into an idol and invested our time and money into that. So when you're aware of your Father's presence, that temporal stuff falls away. Courage replaces fear. Presence replaces possessions. But the transition that happens from that, when that begins to shift, it's actually very disruptive on your life. For me, it was the age of uh, 40 years of age when this became then the defining moment. I'm squared away. I know who I am. I know whose I am. 
what implications does that have for me? For me, I, was, I had my own little business going on, I had a, a number of employees, and, and I just realised I'm investing sometimes 16 hours a day in something that, for me, I couldn't see a lot of worth in. I felt a calling to get involved, there was a lot of lessons I had to learn from that. There was, I learned about finance and the ups and downs of business and you grow in character and all those sorts of things. But in the end of the day, if I stopped that tomorrow, would anyone really care? No. Was there a purpose to it besides providing an income for myself, which is important, obviously? Could there be more? This sort of stuff begins to stir up a whole other suite of conversations that you're not going to let go until they're squared away. It changes things. And leaning into God activates, as we saw with Simba, our return home. Because now we lead a pride and pride doesn't lead me. I'm not, I'm not looking to fuel who I am, that echo in my heart by something else. Now I've got to go home. I've got to find destiny because my destiny is what I've designed to do. I'm prepared to go to this other place. I'm prepared in my soul for something that's different to this Hakuna Matata life. I'm not interested in a title anymore. I'm looking for significance. And it's interesting how this plays out. Let's have a look at the next clip. But isn't that, isn't that life? We, we, we're pursuing a path and we've all got our dream, we've all got our thing that we've invested our decades in. Because it's taking us somewhere and it's almost always it's taking us somewhere high. But when those other questions are squared away, it doesn't become about height anymore, it becomes about people, it becomes about purpose. And the thing we end up looking at, which is our calling, is something that's something like a fixer-upper. It's our city, which is a fixer-upper. It's Kenmore, contrary to what many of us may think, it's a bit of a fixer-upper. I know Mogul is. There's lots of work to do out there. There's lots of people who are broken. Every one of us are broken too. But the qualification to go in there is not to be unbroken, it's just to be with them and dedicate ourselves to the purpose that we've been given. But pride, if pride is driving, we won't see that. We won't want to see that, we won't go back. So it wasn't until pride is taken away that we can lead the pride. It's a reality check that changes our priorities. So I quoted the first question of the, of the four. The first one was, who, who am I? So once that's done, the next question is, who am I with? Suddenly it becomes not about me, it becomes about my people. Find your people, you've found your purpose. This is, we now call it our tribe. This is our tribe. This is Kenmore Church. We're a tribe now. We've all got the same jersey on. We're all picking up popcorn and handing out slushies and, and doing the stuff. You know, this is just our gang. Find your people, you've found your purpose. You don't have to look for a greener pasture. You don't need to look for a new family. You've got them. Find your people and you've found your purpose. And even Simba needed a wild pig hanging around him and a meerkat. After you've answered that question, who am I with, then becomes a bigger question, what should I do with it? What do I do with this life? What do I do now that I don't really care about self-promotion and money and, and all that kind of things? What do I do with this life? All the skills and all the character and, and all this stuff and, and even the things I don't know about yet that God does know about. Well, the bottom line is you're a perfect fix for a problem somewhere. It's a problem that you can probably no longer avoid. It's a problem that one day you're going to walk along and you're going to kick your toe on it and go, that shouldn't be like that. The poor shouldn't be poor or the, or the, the orphans shouldn't be the orphans or schools should be better run or whatever your thing becomes. You go, I'm not going to just stand around anymore. Now I know what I'm made to do. And I can't fix it all, but I can fix it with my little mate, the pig. 
We can get in there and I'm going to stop complaining about the problem and start being part of the solution. What should I do with it? What will you do with your life? And the, the greatest joy in life is when you actually find your sweet spot where what's expected of you is a match of what you're good at and what you're allowed to do. And you get in there and you really start to sing your song. And for many of us, it's not till our 30s and 40s and maybe even our 50s till we find that moment where we realize, here's what I should do with my life. All this, all this investment that God's made in my life. But there's one final question that comes only after you've answered those. And it's almost, I'm starting to question it now. Is, was it worth it? Is all that I've done worth it? Is it worth it to continue on the trajectory that I'm on? Is what I'm doing now going to still be important in a hundred years' time? Is it going to matter? Is, is anyone going to look back? And I don't care if people look back on my life or not, but I want to know that what I'm doing now is worth doing. Because it's such a short breath of life. The death rate among Christians is still 100.0%. You will pass away unless Jesus comes back first. There's been a lot of us hoping for that, but the, t the clock is ticking for all of us. So have I invested this short life in what's going to blow away or what stays. You know, the only thing that matters is people. The only thing that matters is not what you've accomplished, it's, it's, it's who you've sown into. Really, nothing else is going to stand the ultimate test of anything. So have you allowed your situation in life to be the reason why you can't do that? Or is that the compelling reason why you must do that? There's nothing stopping you. You need to hear this. There is nothing stopping you from living out your eternal purpose. A lack of money isn't doing it. Old age, young age, lack of qualifications, bad looks, good looks, too busy. Nothing needs stop you from fulfilling a purpose that matters forever. Because it's about people. And in any moment and any day, you can walk through the hallways in this place, in this time, and stop, and you can change someone's life by holding out your hand and saying, hi, let me hear your story. There's nothing stopping us from living what really matters. So I wonder where you're at on your faith journey as I wrap this up. Are you singing Akuna Matata? No worries, baby. Got my super lined up. Got my car, got my house, got my second house. Got my third house. No one needs to know about that sucker. Akuna Matata. See, it's shocking what's happening over in Africa and India and Haiti. Terrible what's going on there. Akuna Matata. Doesn't matter. I've got no worries. Some of us are still on that path and we, still, we can't even sing a Matata because we're still worried about getting as high as we want to get. We don't often use movie clips in church, but sometimes it's just a great way to illustrate. But take this moment as just a different moment, just to reassess. You don't answer to me. You don't answer to anyone else here. You answer to God and you answer to yourself. Are you happy with the, the trajectory of your life? Are you stuck without purpose? Are you stuck without God? You're struggling with identity? Maybe you're just living as just a half-life, a part-life, and you'll know what I mean. I'm getting up. I'm breathing. It's like Groundhog Day. I just keep doing this stuff. I don't know why. Suicide's being contemplated. Is this life even worth it? I don't even have a reason anymore why I shouldn't be depressed. Maybe you've just hit your wall. This is normal. You're okay. You're a thinking human being. It's time to reconsider this sort of stuff and take a step back into your purpose. Maybe you're not a church person. Maybe this is the first time or the first time for a long time you've been in church. 
And you're no worse or no better than any of the rest of us. We're all just human beings just trying to do the right thing and do it well in the presence of our Father who makes a real difference. And it is a difference. From those who don't believe in God and those who do, you know, it's not like we, we can make a choice and say, well, I'm just choosing to be a believer. Like saying, I choose to like blue and not green. It's not like that. It's not a mental choice. It's saying, belief is a leaning on something in which is not just a theory, it's real. He's real. We wouldn't do what we do. We can't be who we can be without this God who talks and breathes and lives and gives us strength and gives us joy and a reason to live. He's real. To not believe in that when you've experienced that and know him is the biggest contradiction the planet's ever seen. But we need to take that to its next step. And because I believe, therefore I do and therefore I am. Our king lives inside us. When we're weak and we're ashamed, he forgives us. He makes us strong. But your life is going to make no sense. It really will make no sense in the absence of your heavenly father. Let's pray today. Lord, we just come before you. We recognize your presence. We recognize your greatness, your kingship over our life. Father, we just thank you that wherever we are, just like little Simba was found as, as far away from his destiny as he could possibly be, there are some in this room today who have probably been walking as fast and far away as they can from this calling as well. And yet you echo from within, you echo from without. Remember who you are. Come to faith. And if you want to do that this morning and you've never really committed your heart to Christ, you've never placed your faith in God and you'd just love to take that first step, you don't even know where it's going to lead next. All it's going to lead to next is Him revealing Himself more and more to you and you've been able to rely on Him to pay the price for all the misgivings in your life that you could never pay for yourself. So if you'd like to take that first step of placing your faith in Jesus Christ to pay for your sins and give you access to the Father, why don't you pray with me now? And why don't we all just pray together as one? God, we come before you. You can do louder than that. God, we come before you. We come in humility. We come not because of what we deserve. We come because of how great you are. Will you forgive all my sin? I rely on you to do that. Will you reveal yourself to me and lead me on the next step of faith? In Jesus' name, amen.